ESPN Sports Radio 1392.5. Now for something completely different. We're going to bring, bring, bring it all together. Because that's the bottom line. Bottom line. ESPN Radio 1392.5. It's the bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Sunday. Miss Judy, please take your meds this morning, or I will make you uh, wear my favorite little black hat that I usually wear after a four-mile walk out in this 85-degree sun. That's your favorite hat, I know. 859-381-1313. If you'd like to call in and join in on the fun and excitement this morning, you can email the show, bottomlinelex at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, at bottomlinelex. On today's show, the Reds once again live up to their billing from yesterday on this show. Two hitters, and that's about it. The NBA playoffs have started, finally. John Clay, the Lexington Herald leader, he will join us to talk about sports locally, nationally, and a few little insults to be thrown in back and forth. That's the way we do it with John Clay. He's a good friend, and uh, he's a good sport, and we always appreciate his time. And of course... The most profitable segment in Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, presented by Jake Cigar Bar. All this and much, much more on this week's Sunday edition of Lexington's fastest-growing sports talk radio experience. But first, Billy Walters, Munfordville in Hart County, not exactly Las Vegas, Nevada, but you wouldn't know that if you knew the story of Billy Walters. Billy Walters now 74 years old. He's considered one of the greatest sports gamblers in the history of Las Vegas, Nevada. He had a winning streak of over 40, 40 years, according to him. As of 2016, Billy Walters had a holding company that owned interest in eight car dealerships, one golf course on the Las Vegas Strip, a rental car franchise, and a number of commercial properties. And in 2014, his net worth was estimated at more than $100 million. Not bad for a kid that grew up in a poor little rural town of Munfordville, Kentucky. Walter's father was an auto mechanic, and he died when Billy was 18 months old. Billy's mother was an alcoholic and walked out on her son and two daughters shortly after his father's death. So Billy Walters was raised by his grandmother, in a home with no running water or indoor plumbing. Walter's grandmother worked two jobs, cleaning houses and washing dishes while raising seven children. And at the age of seven, Billy Walter secured a $40 bank loan for a power lawnmower to start a grass cutting business. And at the age of nine, he secured a second loan for $90 to start a paper route. His grandmother, of course, arranged both of these loans for Billy Walters. But Billy's grandmother died when he was 13, forcing him to move to Louisville to be with his mother. There, he worked two jobs. One in the morning at a bakery, and the second at a gas station in the evening. He rented a room in the basement from his mother. He married and had a kid before even graduating high school. Here's a shocker. That marriage didn't last very long. In 1965, at the age of 21, 
Billy went to work as a salesman at a used car lot in Louisville. Each time he sold a car, he mailed a self-promotion letter to 10 people living on each side of that customer's home. That's smart even for today's standards. He would browse the daily newspaper for car ads, inviting the ad sellers to do trades with him. He went through the phone book and started cold calling people. That You talk about a job. Cold calling is a job. Walter sold an average of 32 cars a month and earned $56,000 in 1966, which is equal to about $400,000 today just selling cars. Walters worked 80 hours a week selling cars and setting dealership records, and he sold cars until 1972 when he started his own business, wholesaling cars to other dealers throughout the southern United States. But during all that time, of course... Billy was involved in sports betting. In 1981, he stopped selling cars to become a full-time sports better. He was running his own sports betting service on the side, and in 1982, he pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge of possession of gambling records in Kentucky. In other words, he had a little black book, and they got it. The charge was later expunged from his record. But it was then that he decided to move to Las Vegas, where opportunity knocked and betting on sports was legal. Billy started gambling when he was nine years old when he bet money that he earned on his paper route on the World Series in 1955. He bet on the Dodgers over the Yankees, and he lost. But it didn't deter him from gambling. Like any great gambler, one loss is not going to stop you from gambling forever. I know if I was nine and I lost a bet, I probably would have been scared to death and never done it again. But the losing didn't stop there for Billy. Billy was a losing gambler as late as 1982. He had lost $50,000 by the time he was 22 years old. And Walters once lost his house during a game of pitching nickels. Sheesh, he's worse than Michael Jordan in that last dance uh, documentary. The winner did not take possession of Billy's house. Billy agreed to pay off the debt over the next eight months. But Billy's success changed when he got into his mid-30s. Walters and his gambling partners delivered a $2 million worth of chips to the cage in an Atlantic club casino because the pair basically noticed a wheel bias and bet on the certain numbers that were coming up more often than the others. And after 38 straight hours of playing that wheel, they had won $3.8 million. They found a way to beat the system. But sports betting is where he made his hay. In the 1980s, Billy Walters joined the Computer Group, which used computer analysis to analyze sports outcomes. Ugh, if we would only do something like that today. Oh, yeah, we do it every day on this show. Over a period of 39 years, Walters had only one losing year with a 30-year winning streak. Though he finished in the red for a few months, he was always in the black by the end of the year. And Billy focused on three main sports, College basketball, pro and college football. Billy Walters won $3.5 million on Super Bowl 44, betting on the New Orleans Saints. And due to his reputation around the desert, Billy often placed bets through runners so bookmakers would remain unaware of the person behind the bet. And of course, he won big tickets January of 07. He won $2.2 million on USC over Michigan in the Rose Bowl. In 2011, 
Billy Walters claimed he could make 50 to $60 million a year betting on sports in a good year. So life was pretty good for Billy Walters, a poor kid from Hart County, Kentucky. But then things changed, and boy, did they change. In April 2017, Billy Walters was found guilty of insider training after using non-public information from a board member of Dean Foods, and he was sentenced to five years in prison and fined $10 million. But the case dragged in a big name, Phil Mickelson. Prosecutors said Mickelson made nearly a million dollars after Walters told him in 2012 to buy this Dean Food stock. And Mickelson, allegedly, gave the profits to Walters to cover gambling debts that Mickelson had owed him, and that's what the prosecutor said. Though Mickelson never faced charges in the case, the Securities and Exchange Commission sued him over the stock trades, and Mickelson agreed to repay the money, basically admitting he was guilty. Hmm. Interesting. But to this day, Billy Walters blames Phil Mickelson for his legal troubles. During the investigation... Mickelson twice told FBI agents he had no knowledge of insider trading involving Walters. But when it came time to show up in court, Mickelson stayed away. He weaseled out of it. And Mickelson's longtime attorney has always declined to comment on the case. Court filings show that Mickelson and his attorneys had said that if he were called to testify in the Billy Walters trial, that he would exercise his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. So all Mickelson had to do was come forward and tell the truth. That's all he had to do. And the guy wouldn't do it because he was concerned about his own image and his own endorsements, just protecting his phony baloney job. Meanwhile, a man's freedom is on the line. Walters was going to go to prison, but Mickelson didn't care as long as he wasn't going to prison himself. That's why he wasn't going to help someone else. During this trial, Mickelson's name was mentioned 122 times by the prosecuting attorneys. Not Walter's attorneys, the prosecuting attorneys. Both Walter's team and the prosecutors agreed in the summer of 2012 at the height of the insider training that the golfer Mickelson owed the sports gambler Walters a debt of $2 million. It was also stipulated that Mickelson had accrued and repaid similar gambling debts to Walters in the past. So without the help of his old pal, Phil Mickelson, who left him high and dry just to cover his own butt, Billy Walters, a kid from Munfordville, Kentucky, who hustled his way to millions, was going to prison for five years. Walters was released to home confinement in Carlsbad, California, last year on May the 1st amid the corona pandemic. And his sentence was scheduled to be completed on January 10th of 2022 and was commuted by Donald Trump right before he left office January 20th of this year. Insert your own political jokes here. We're not a political show. Just ask those fanboys across town if you want politics. So when you're watching the PGA Championship today and all the fans are cheering for good old lefty Phil Mickelson, He's old. He's 50 years old. Let the old man win another one. Just remember that a man served a prison sentence for trying to help Mickelson make some money. A man in Mickelson who already owed him millions of dollars to begin with. And Mickelson refused to help him out 
because he wouldn't sacrifice just a little bit of his public image to help keep him out of prison for five years. There's all kinds of stories out there about Mickelson being a jerk, especially about money. You can Google them. You can find them. Anytime I talk with golf with my friends, they all love Phil Mickelson. We love Lefty. Oh, he's a great guy. Oh, is he? Something tells me if they knew everything about this guy and everything about this story especially, they wouldn't feel the same way. A running gag in sports talk radio is when a host does his give us your Mount Rushmore of you know, whatever, Hall of Fame, a certain franchise, whatever. Whenever you, you hear that topic on a sports talk radio show, just know that the host has not done any prep work and is just looking for anything to talk about by mailing it in and letting the callers take over. But if you ask me to make a Mount Rushmore of jerks in the history of sports, I hope the guys chiseling the rocks have a picture of Phil Mickelson handy for reference. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. The bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective presented by Stable Duel. The reason why we told that story was because Phil Mickelson, at 50 years old, almost 51, is leading the PGA Championship going into the final round today, a round which can be heard right here on ESPN Radio 1300. And 92.5, we always say don't let emotion control your decision-making process. But we don't think Mickelson finishes this off today, and neither does the desert. Right now, Brooks Kepka, the final, uh, the favorite out in the desert to win this tournament. But it's a really short number for a guy that's uh, one shot behind. He's about a plus 150 right now. Mickelson, the second choice, about 3-1, to one, plus 300. Mickelson, just a few short weeks shy of 51 years old, the oldest player ever to be the 54-hole leader at the PGA Championship. He's the oldest to own the three-round lead at any major since Tom Watson was 59 and led the British Open in 2009. Watson ended up choking on the final hole in that tournament and losing in the, in the playoff. I'm not some crazy golf expert, but I wouldn't go on either Mickelson or Kepka today. I think Louis Oosthuizen at 6-1 to one right now. More bang for your buck. By the way, always in these golf, if you're trying to pick winners, play matchups. Don't try to pick winners, you know, out of a field of 80 or 90 or 120 or whatever. Just play matchups, one player versus another player. The odds of winning are just too much hold for the house And when you're trying to play the field. Just play a one-on-one matchup. That's just me, though. But good luck to, do, to you today if you're uh, planning to play the PGA Championship. Make sure to listen to it this afternoon right here on ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. Well, the Reds lost another one yesterday, 4-3 to to the Brewers. We discussed yesterday how being a road underdog has historically proven to be a uh, really good spot for the Brewers starter yesterday, Brett Anderson. He cashed in another ticket. And also, like we discussed yesterday, the Reds' lineups is basically two guys at the top and seven bums. Yet again yesterday, that came to fruition. Wicker and Castellanos, three hits combined. The rest of the team had four hits. We don't have the rhyme like spawn, sane, and pray for rain because I can't think of anything that rhymes with Castellanos. It's like Winker, Castellanos, and I, yeah, I got nothing. It's like orange. What rhymes with Castellanos? I have no idea. Another great day for our good pal, Eugenio Suarez. 0 for 4 and two strikeouts. Lather, Ritz, repeat. Batting average down to 151, yet... The Reds keep trotting him out there every day to bat him third and fourth in the lineup. Then again, who else are you going to bat clean up right now? Naquin, Stevenson, George Foster, is he available? 
But what's the difference in a team like the Reds and a team like, oh, I don't know, say the Cardinals right about now? Sonny Gray has an ERA of 3.96 after yesterday, seven starts on the year. Not exactly Cy Young material, but eh, in this day and age, it's serviceable, I guess. The Cardinals have a pitcher, Jack Flaherty, 2.53 ERA. That's good, but not among the top 10 in the National League in this day of defense and no hitters happening every other day, it seems. But Sonny Gray has a record of 0-3 on the season, while Jack Flaherty has a record of 8-0 on the season. Now, there's a lot of reasons why Flaherty looks like the better pitcher, more consistent managing, something the Reds don't have, a much better bullpen, something the Reds definitely don't have. But it also tells you that compiling an 8-0 record in nine starts in this day and age includes quite a bit of good fortune. I'm not calling Flaherty and the Cardinals lucky, but when a, Fla- a pitcher like Flaherty can't lose and Sonny Gray can't win, there's got to be something going on that isn't exactly sabermetrically based. But today, Great America Ballpark, in a game you can hear right here on ESPN Radio 1300 and 92.5 at 1240 today, Brewers and Reds, the rubber game of the three-game series. Freddie Peralta from Milwaukee, 4-1, 2.40 ERA. And the Reds and the much maligned and, what's a good word, beleaguered, Luis Castillo to the mound, 1-6, 7.44 ERA. Blech. We are big fans of Freddie Peralta on this show. Do you want to know why we still think the Brewers will win the National League Central this year? A great back end of the bullpen. And if you saw the game yesterday, that 8th and ninth inning, when the Milwaukee bullpen struck out five out of the last six batters, yeah, that's proof for you right there. But the Brewers also possibly have the best 1-2-3 starting pitchers this side of the Dodgers in Woodruff, Burns, and this guy, Freddie Peralta. How good has Peralta been this year? Ninth in the league in ERA, but he leads the league in hits per nine innings allowed and strikeouts per nine innings. Having said that, though, Freddie Peralta doesn't exactly cash a lot of tickets out in the desert, as you might think. His career, the Brewers are 17-14 and 14 in his 31 starts. If you'd put $1 on every Peralta start, you'd be up 87 cents right now. So much for that yacht out in the ocean. Peralta, a road favorite today. He's only been a road favorite six times in his career. And the Brewers are 2-4 and four in those games. Also, Peralta has faced the Reds four times in his career. ERA, 3.58. But the Brewers have gone 3-1 and one in those games. So although Peralta has been one of the best pitchers in the league so far this season, it hasn't exactly turned into the windfall in the desert that you might expect. Got good news for the Reds today. Your opening day starter is pitching. Bad news for the Reds. Your starting pitcher is an NL worst in the ERA department. That's life of Louis Castillo these days, who's certainly seen better days. No pitcher in Major League Baseball has lost more games, six, and allowed more earned runs, 35, than Castillo. This will be Luis Castillo's 100th career start in Cincinnati, and the Reds are 46-53 and 53 in the first 99. And if you'd put $1 blindly on every Castillo start over the years, you'd be down $11.95, a return on investment of minus 12.1%. It's not good. In 11 career starts against the Brewers, he started a lot of games. Castillo has a 3.46 ERA, but the Reds have only gone 5-6 and six in those games. And when Castillo is a home underdog like he is today, the Reds have actually gone 5-5 five and five in those games. 
And although Reds Nation proclaimed Castillo was back after striking out 11 Giants earlier in the week, he still gave up three earned runs in five innings. So despite his reputation, there's not much today you can rest your hope on if you're a Reds fan looking to back Luis Castillo. Based on how great Peralta's been so far this season, the Brewers a minus-125 favorite out in the desert in this one. You don't see Castillo as a home dog very often, but here he is today. For what it's worth, the Reds' bullpen a little bit more rested because uh, Hayter went yesterday. Antonin Sims did not pitch yesterday. If you find the Reds at plus money, this might be a chance to fade Peralta and get some rare value on Castillo. Keep in mind, Castillo closed as a favorite earlier this week against the Giants. So how is Castillo a favorite against the Giants earlier in the week, the best team in Major League Baseball at the time, and an underdog against the Brewers today who are struggling to finish around 500? You do the math there. Castillo at plus money is a play we would lean on today. Not Mac Daddy Stogie worthy, but still, we'd lean that way. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio 1392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective coming up after the break. It's what everyone asks me about every time I talk about this show with somebody. What's your Mac Daddy Stogie picks? The most profitable segment at Lexington Radio, presented by Jake Cigar Bar. That's next, right here on ESPN Radio 1300 and 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. The bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Got a text from the uh, text machine over here. Our good friend Alan Stein, our uh, Reds expert here at ESPN Radio, told me to take the sucker bet today. I don't think anybody's ever told me to take a sucker bet, but uh, I think we're with you. If we Only if we could get plus money on the Reds today. If they somehow flip around and they're minus 105, no dice. But i got to be getting plus money if I'm taking the Reds today. Speaking of the Reds today, it's time for the Lexington's most profitable segment, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, presented by Jake Cigar Bar. How do you celebrate picking a winner? You just head on down to Jake Cigar Bar at Brandon Crossing and line up that Mac Daddy Stogie before the game ends. That's how we do it. As they say at Jake, smoke local, drink local, and cross the line with us at Jake Cigar Bar. Check them out online, jakecigarbar.com. Make sure to tell our friends Jake and Autumn that the bottom line set you. That's jakecigarbar.com. NBA yesterday. Favorites and dogs split. Uh, excuse me, the underdogs went 3-1 and one against the spread. So all the dogs uh, cashed for you, except the one favorite we told you to take yesterday, the Brooklyn Nets over the Celtics, the only favorite to cover. Of course, as we told you yesterday, our favorite trend for the NBA playoffs, the only time where you kind of look to take favorites is the NBA playoffs, the only sport. Follow the money on the chalk. If you have just take favorites in the NBA playoffs that are getting a majority of the money since 2005, you would have gone 130 and 83. That's 61% against the spread. And today we have another one. Who fits that criteria today? The Philadelphia 76ers. You want to take uh, Russell Westbrook? Go ahead. Look at his playoff record. You might disagree with that. We'll take Philly, minus eight, riding that trend to the window, just like we did yesterday with Brooklyn. Sixers are Mac Daddy Stogie for the NBA today. Major League Baseball yesterday, favorites went 10 and 5. We had the Twins yesterday. They had a loss in extra innings. Uh, they couldn't hold on to that lead they had late. But uh, that's what you get when you're taking the biggest dogs and the worst teams in Major League Baseball. You get a lot of bang for your buck, but you don't win every game. Looking around the majors today, who's got some value? Hey, the Reds have some value if they remain an underdog. Detroit, the Cubs have some underdogs uh, value tonight. But we're going to go 
Back out to Coors Field in Colorado, one of our favorites. Taylor Widener, 1-0. He'll start for Arizona, 2.82 ERA. John Gray for the Rockies. Both teams have lost 29 games this season, but Arizona has dropped seven in a row, including the first two of this series to Colorado. Widener, he's a good pitcher. ERA plus of 148 this season, just coming off the injured list. Uh, Arizona's turned a small profit when Widener starts over his career, but it's not a very long career. These are two evenly matched teams. And if you're going to give me one that's about plus 125 and plus 130, yeah, we'll take the odds in that one. Colorado gets righties. They're struggling this year. They have a very bad record. They are 8-2 and two if you go against them the last 10 games when they're facing right-handed pitchers. So, yeah, Widener's a right-hander. As we know at Coors, anything can happen. Give us the lowly Arizona Diamondbacks. People look at this seven-game losing streak, and you're getting value because the public looks at a losing streak, and they want to go against it. Because they always tell you in the desert, oh, don't bet against the streak. Bull Durham taught us that too. Uh-huh. That's another reason they build those billion-dollar casinos out there. Give us Arizona. Are they the better team? Eh, coin flip. But I do get the better pitcher, and I get a lot of value today because they're on a losing streak. Diamondbacks, your baseball Mac Daddy Stogie. So there you have it. The Sixers in the NBA is a favorite. Arizona in the major leagues as a dog. Our Mac Daddy Stogie picks presented by Jake Cigar Bar. And you can take those bad boys to the desert and smoke them. Coming up after the break, our good friend John Clay of the Lexington Herald-Leader will join us right here on ESPN Radio 1300 at 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. The Bottom Line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. And with us now, a man who needs no introduction to loyal listeners of The Bottom Line. He is the longtime columnist of the Lexington Herald-Leader, and when he's on the afternoon drive show on this station, he's referred to as great. But here on the bottom line, we tell it like it is. So joining us now, the extremely mediocre John Clay. John, thanks for joining us this morning, buddy. Always be, always good to be with you, Brad. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. We appreciate your time this morning. I know that you're uh, a big Bob Baffert guy, and we haven't really talked about it much this weekend. But I know you used to go to the Preakness, and you and Bob Baffert, allegedly, this is your story, not anybody else's, you guys would sit and watch. You had a private television that somehow you guys found of TV. You're laughing because you know I write. And you'd watch the race every year. What happened this year with Baffert? Was it kind of the thing that was best for business that he didn't win the Preakness this year? Okay, first of all, it's not a private TV. Oh. It's a monitor there. It's an NBC monitor. Off, uh, They have an outdoor and an indoor paddock. Baffert likes to watch the race from the uh, indoor paddock. There's a monitor there that NBC uses. Actually, I was there first, and then Bob, uh, after uh, one of the years, I can't remember which one, uh, he discovered it as well. So uh, we kind of, we would, and some other, it, it wasn't just the two of us, it was other people as well. It was a good place to watch the race because it's hard to see uh, there at Comico unless you're watching it on TV. So that's how that happened. It's not a private box or anything like that. Oh. Uh, yeah, it probably was best that he didn't win the Preakness because if he won the Preakness, uh, if Medina Spirit had won the Kentucky Derby, or at least the Kentucky Derby winner right now, until they as they wait on the split sample to return uh, from uh, the lab to just figure out you know exactly what's going on there. But if it, it was good, if Medina Spirit had won the Preakness, that's all we'd be talking about leading into the Belmont. You'd have Medina Spirit. Is he really going for the Triple Crown, or is he not going for the Triple Crown? Is he going to be disqualified? From the derbies, you're not going to be disqualified. And what's the deal with Baffert with all these positive tests? So, yeah, I think it was probably good that uh, 
that Medina didn't and Baffert did not win the Preakness. Should he have even been allowed to run in the Preakness in the first place? Well, I mean, they did drug test the horses. Uh, the people at Pimlico, they worked out a deal with uh, Bob and his attorney, uh, Craig Robertson, who's here in Lexington, that uh, his horses would be uh, under uh, be monitored, and, and they were subjected to a couple of blood tests, and they came clean, so they were uh, allowed to run. So I, I think that was probably the right thing to do. I know now, you know, Naira has stepped in and banned uh, Baffert, but that's a temporary suspension as they wait to see what happens with the thing with Churchill Downs. The interesting thing, one of the interesting things is, Brad, since the Medina Spirit drug test, Bob had not had a winner in any race. Uh, he's still allowed to run at Santa Anita. He was 0 for 8 until yesterday. He won the stakes race at Santa Anita yesterday. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it, I like Bob. Bob is good with the media. He's, uh, he's, has become kind of the face of horse racing. He doesn't take himself too seriously. But on the other hand, I mean, it's just too many tests. There's too many, uh, too many of these positive drug tests. And Bob always seems to kind of come up with some sort of excuse. The last one was the ointment for the skin rash. They didn't know it had the beta-methasone in it. That seems a little, I mean, why wouldn't you, it's right there on the label. Why wouldn't you look on the label to see? So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. That was good information that he hasn't won anything since the positive test at the Derby. But one more final question about this. Uh, you said that New York suspended him for the Belmont coming up. If he had won the Preakness, if you had Medina Spirit going for the Triple Crown, they wouldn't have suspended him, would they? No, I don't think so. I think what they would have done is probably uh, the same thing that Pimlico did. Uh, you know, the funny, you know, uh, a few years ago, uh, when I'll have another won the Derby and he won the Preakness, that year, there was a lot of uh, attention given to drugs and racing. For the first time, Belmont put all the horses that were running in the Belmont Stakes, they put them in the same barn. They were monitored 24 hours. And then right before the the day before the race, Doug O'Neill, the trainer, and uh, pulled, I'll have another, out of the uh, out of the Belmont. And it came to light later on. I think Joe Drape of the New York Times broke it later on that uh, they had been using, I think, basically the same type of anti-inflammatory drugs that Baffert is accused of using to keep I'll Have Another going through the Triple Crown because he had some inflammation problems. And they pretty much, I think, Doug O'Neill knew that there was a good chance that he was going to test positive for that after the race. They were not going to be able to race him without using those anti-inflammatory drugs. So, therefore, they pulled him from the race. But what I think what would... What would happen if Medina Spirit had won won the previous is that you'd seen a similar scenario at the Belmont. They probably would have really tried to crack down on giving them more of the pre-race blood tests, do more monitoring of what was going on, and put all the Belmont horses in the same barn, which the trainers don't like. I remember they were they were complaining big time up in New York that year about when they did put all the horses in one barn. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. The bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. We're here with John Clay from the Lexington Herald-Leader, a man who tried to get Bob Baffert kicked off his private TV at the Preakness. John, <laughs> did you cover the 1948 World Series? I did. You did not. Okay. Well, there is an old... No, I did not. I missed that one. You missed that one. Well, there is an old saying. Uh, we talked about it yesterday. Spawn, sane, and pray for rain. You ever heard of that? Yes, I have. You have. There you go. Well, we compare that to the current Reds lineup. They have two guys at the top of the lineup, and then the rest of them are bums. 
What's wrong with this Reds team? Are they going to live up to expectations this year, or is this just a sign of things to come the rest of the season? Well, it depends on what, what expectations uh, you had for the Reds coming into this year. Uh, I I think I think I picked them to win 82 games. They'd go like 82-80, be right around 500. They're a little below that right now. Uh, you know, you're right. I mean, they got a couple of hitters, and everybody else is uh, – uh, is really fall, <clears throat> falling off. I know they have some injuries. I always think that, you know, Senzel's always injured. The yep. Stockus is hurt. Of course, Botto's been out for a while with a broken thumb. Uh, but, you know, there's not a whole lot of consistency, as you mentioned, from that lineup. And, but what about Suarez? I mean, he's just been a total disaster to this point, which he hit in like 150. You have to wonder how much of the move of him from third base to shortstop. I know he's back at third base now as they've moved the infield around since Votto got hurt. But was he spending so much time in spring training trying to relearn playing short that he, you know, fell off at the plate? But he didn't have a great year at the plate last year either. So that that definitely is a concern. So they're just a, they're a mediocre team. I mean, maybe they get maybe they get hot, um, you know, down the line when they get everybody healthy. Uh, you know, we'll see. But right now, I, it depends on what your expectations are. But I'd say they're right at a, a below just below five hundred team right now. You had eighty two wins according to you. The desert had 81 and a half before this season started, so it's not like people thought this was a you know division winner shoe in. This this was a mediocre right. team to start, but they've played up to those mediocre standards. You bring up Suarez, yeah, he's the worst player, he's the worst hitter in Major League Baseball so far. But you mentioned Votto, and I, here's just a side question: Is he a Hall of Famer? Yes or no? I think he is, but yeah. I'm a big I'm a Votto fan. I'm a big Votto fan. Yes or no? Did the Reds uh, finish above 500 this year? Uh, right now, I would say no. You know what? I think one thing that's going to be interesting to see with the Reds is uh, the first round draft pick from, I guess, last year or two years ago. Uh, the TCU pitcher uh, Nick Ladolo, or however you say his name, he is pitching lights out at Chattanooga. So is Hunter Green. If you're the Reds, do you like? Okay, we don't have a whole lot to play for. Let's bring these guys up and see what they can do. Uh, I mean, that may be about the only thing that's going to keep the interest in the fans, except for the fact that they get to go back on June second. You're going to open the place up and have full attendance, you know, that you actually get to go to a baseball game. But, uh, I mean, I don't want to sound too negative. I mean, I think they've got – if they had everybody healthy and, you know, uh, obviously another guy's Castillo. they got to get Castillo straightened out. If they could get everybody straightened out. And the division I don't think is that strong. Uh, you know, I don't think the Cardinals – I don't think they're vintage Cardinals. The Brewers have holes. The Cubs are, you know, I think they're on a downward slide. So the division's there, but uh, unfortunately at this point, the Reds, uh, you know, if there's an advantage, sees the advantage, they're certainly not doing that. You talk about you don't want to sound negative. You've come to the right place if you want to sound negative. It's okay. You can. Uh, we're all about negativity and chaos and anarchy here on the bottom line. Let's switch gears. Well, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I know you guys, uh, LXG carries the Reds games, and I think that's yeah. great. Because uh, there was a while there were nobody in Lexington was carrying the Reds games, and I, I'll watch them and listen to them. I'm very interested in them. I'd like to see them win just from the standpoint it's much more interesting. But uh, you know they got to get some things straightened out. We'll see. Well, they haven't told me yet to stop being negative about the Reds. I guess any publicity <laughs> okay. is good publicity at this point for the there Reds. But let's switch over to Kentucky football this year. Who's the okay. quarterback? I don't know who the quarterback is. How can I put my hard-earned money on Kentucky if I don't even know who the quarterback is? 
Well, that's you know that's a good point, and I don't think I mean uh, we're going to see when Will Levis, the transfer from Penn State, comes in. I mean they basically I won't say they have held the job open for him, but they certainly held the competition open for him because he was not in spring practice. Uh, he he'll be here for the fall. I think he'll definitely be a factor uh, in the race. With uh, you got Joey Gatewood and Bo Allen, the kid from Lexington Catholic. Everything we heard is that I think Gatewood had a pretty good spring. I think Allen had his moments as well. But I think they're waiting on Levis. I think they want to get a good look at I think Liam Cohen, the new offensive coordinator, wants to get a good look at him. He's got a strong arm. He's you know, not a lot, but he played some college football, so he does have some experience. Uh, but it's it's you're right. I mean, it's an open question. It's hard to know exactly what they're going to do when you don't know who the guy is who the, plays the most important position on the team. One of the fanboy websites came up this week and said, oh, <laughs> Kentucky's going to start out 6-0. and Come on, John Clay. They're not starting out 6-0. and Why would somebody come out on the media and say that other than they just are trying to get clicks? I, I guess they're just trying to get clicks. Yeah, that's 6-0. and I mean, I wrote about the schedule uh, for the paper today. To me, it breaks down into three, you know, three buckets or whatever you want to call it, phases. Uh, you know, the September schedule, they got Missouri – the second game of the year at home, that'll be a key SEC game. Uh, you know, last year, that was a terrible loss at Missouri. That may have been a game that finally pulled the plug on Eddie Graham because they had no offense whatsoever and losing that game was a very disappointing loss uh, for Kentucky last year. They got, Now they got Missouri this year, the second week of the season at home. They go to South Carolina the fourth week. Then they hit a stretch there, Florida, LSU, and Georgia back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. I don't see how you can say they're going to be 6-0 and at when the – Florida and LSU are their fifth and sixth games of the year. Uh, where is Eddie Grand today, by the way? Real quick. Do we know where he's at? You know, no, I mean, uh, Josh Moore, our, our UK football beat writer at the Herald Leader, he talked to Eddie and did a story about Eddie, oh, let's say a month or so ago. Uh, you can find that podcast, by the way, the John Clay podcast, Josh's interview with Eddie. I'm going to plug that. Of course. Um, I think Eddie, uh, Eddie would like to get back into coaching. Uh, you know the right opportunity and so forth, but uh, right now I don't think he is in. Co- I don't think he's going to be in coaching for this next year. Well, we always say your value is determined by how long you're out of a job, and I think Eddie Graham might be, you know, making my drink at Starbucks here around the corner if I don't look <laughs> out. If I made the line out in the desert six and a half for Kentucky wins this season, are you going over or under? I'm going over. Are I think you? they can win more than six. Yeah, I think they can win more than that. I mean, like I said, the schedule, you know, uh, we're back We're back to, uh, you know, the non-conference cupcakes. Right. They've got uh, U- UL Monroe's the first game. They didn't win a game last year. They went out and hired Terry Bowden as their coach. Uh, that's the first game. they got Chattanooga in there. New Mexico State is in there. You know, and then once they get past that uh, – gauntlet of the florida lsu georgia it's much more manageable after that they've got tennessee in that stretch vanderbilt in that stretch new mexico state and louisville are at the end of the year you know it's a big year for scott satterfield at louisville you know their fans are not of course they're not happy with basketball and they're not happy with football either 12 and 12 and then satterfield wasn't exactly uh, forthcoming about his interest in the south carolina job so you know i think tennessee you got a new coach vanderbilt you know again vanderbilt's got a new coach I mean, it sets up where, yeah, I think they can win. Um, I I think they can definitely uh, do the over on that. There are quite a few games. There's five games where they're going to be like, it's going to be a field goal out in the desert. They're going to be like between uh, zero and four-point lines. The Missouri game, 
Uh, Mississippi State, Tennessee is not going to be – Kentucky's not going to be a huge favorite over Tennessee. The Louisville game. No. Those are games where they're going to be a small favorite, if favorite at all, in those games, and they better cash in on all those if they want to be- beat that six-and-a-half number. That, that's true, and a lot goes back to uh, what you said about the quarterback and you got a new offense. You know, the Missouri game's an interesting game from the standpoint of being so early in the year. On the one hand, it'll only be the second game for the Kentucky offense – uh, in Liam Cohen's up in, in his attack and his scheme, it'll be only the second game with a new quarterback, whether that quarterback is Levis or Gatewood or Bo Allen. But for Missouri, on the other hand, they will have only had one game of tape, the Kentucky and Shuvel Monroe, to look at that scheme, see what it's all about. So who has the if there? Uh, we'll see. I really like Missouri's quarterback, Connor Basilak, a kid that Kentucky recruited but ended up going to Missouri. Uh, I think he's. I think he's got a chance to be really good. So that's going to be a. That's going to be an interesting game, and and it could tell a lot about the season. If Kentucky loses that game, they're kind of play, they're going to have to be kind of playing catch up the rest of the year. If they win that game, go down to South Carolina in a couple of weeks, another team with a new coach, and beat them, they'd be two and zero in the conference, uh, which would be a really good start for them. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. The bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel, with our good friend John Clay from the Herald-Leader. Kentucky basketball. I couldn't pick these guys out of a lineup. I don't know who's playing. I don't know anything about anything. But yet, I have a feeling when it comes November and that AP preseason poll comes out, Kentucky's going to be in the top ten whether they like it or not. Is that going to be the case this year again, John Clay? Uh, I want to talk to your producer because I want to get a copy of that part where you say I don't I don't know anything about anything. I want to I want to get that. I might put that on my voicemail. Uh, Thank you. Wait, yeah, they, I, I'm the producer, be... John Clay. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, what was the question again? Will they be a top ten <laughs> team again? Is that what you said? When we sit here in November, it's going to be lather, rinse, repeat. <laughs> oh, November. Yeah, when uh, the AP preseason poll comes out, and Kentucky's going to be a top ten again, even with all the turmoil we've had here over the last twelve months. You know, I don't think they will be a top ten team because I think, uh, I mean, nine and sixteen last year. I think people might be a little more hesitant. Uh, I wrote about this, I think, a week or so ago. Uh, are we a little burned by the hype train, by the Kentucky hype train? I saw some sites said, you know, Kentucky is back. Kentucky is back. How do we know that? I mean, we heard this. If you remember this time last year, what were we doing? We were waiting to see if the NCAA was going to make Olivier Saar immediately eligible. And the, the thinking was, if Saar's eligible, this is a Final Four team. This is a team that can go to the Final Four. And look what happened. Saar was eligible, and they ended up 9-16. and 16. Do I think John Calipari has addressed some of his problems with through the transfer, not necessarily through freshmen, but through the transfer portal? Yes, I mean they were they were not a physical team last year. Oscar Shibway, the transfer from West Virginia, will help them there. They were a terrible outside shooting team last year. They got Kellen Grady from uh, Davidson. They got C.J. Frederick. Both the guys are good perimeter shooters. The kid from uh, Iowa, Severe Wheeler. You know, I like him from the standpoint. I mean, he, he did lead the SEC in assists last year at Georgia, but he also committed uh, over four turnovers a game. He's just, He was just a sophomore last year. He's played two years. you got to get him straight out, and that's the big key with Cal Perry. You have to have, he has to have a good point guard to make his offense go, to make everything click. I mean, we that was very obvious last year that he did not have one, and look what happened. Is Wheeler the answer? Is Ty Ty Washington the freshman the answer? You know, I don't know. I'm a little more skeptical after last year when we heard all the hype about these guys, and they, and so many of them turned out to be not ready to play. So I, I want to see it on the floor, and I think a lot of the AP voters will think the same. They'll be a top twenty team, but I'm not sure they'll be top ten in the preseason poll. 
He's the mediocre John Clay of the Lexington Herald Leader. John, tell us where we can find you on social media and uh, on uh, the Kentucky.com or whatever that thing is. Yeah. <laughs> well, my mediocre Twitter account is John Clay IV. Uh, you can listen to my mediocre mediocre podcast, the John Clay podcast. I had a podcast with Josh Moore the other day talking UK football. Some of this thing stuff we talked about the uh, about. Uh, the schedule as well. Um, so it does, and you can find me at Kentucky.com and in the print edition of the Herald Leader. As always, John Clay, we thank you so much for your time, and uh, we're very grateful for all the help you've given us uh, getting started here on this station and all the things you've done over the, over the years to help us. So uh, thank you, as always, my friend, for your time this morning. It's always fun to talk to you, Brad. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. That's John Clay, the Lexington Herald Leader. We'll be right back to get you ready for the rest of the day on ESPN Radio right after this on ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. It's the bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Presented by Stable Doing. With us now, the man who's coming up at the top of the hour to give you his insights to the world of sports. He's our good friend, Angelo Carriero. Angelo, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. I'm glad to be on with you. What's coming up on your show today? I'm going to be talking about the NBA playoffs. The National Basketball Association is in full swing with their playoffs. Play-in games. John Morant upset that you have the Grizzlies. Did you bet the Grizzlies? Did not. Oh, okay. We did have a winner yesterday. You did have a winner? We had Brooklyn. We're taking the Sixers today. Good or no good? Oh, I I, I like the Sixers. I think that's especially with the Brad Beal on a a wonky hamstring. I'll be talking more about that series coming up. And also, I might even talk about my Mount Rushmore of golf, including Phil Mickelson. Yes or no? He's just doing that to upset me, ladies and gentlemen. He knows exactly. Tune in, 10 a.m. Exactly. They're Mount Rushmore, the absolute lazy man's way of doing sports talk radio. Yes, you heard me, fanboys across town, when I say something like that. Make sure to email us anytime, bottomlinelex at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at bottomlinelex. Thank you so much for listening. Until the next time, as always, may the winners be yours.